The Sermon on the Mount is where we have been in the book of Matthew. It's, that's the name, Jesus never called it that, but it's the name usually given to this sermon, that, his most famous sermon. Uh, it's in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. The whole thing is, is one sermon. We've been in that sermon for 11 weeks now, and today we get basically to the halfway point the end of today's passage. That's why we had a special speaker last week. Jim was the halftime show for the Sermon on the Mount, so I hope you appreciated that. Now back to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It's been a while since I discussed this, just to remind you where we're at and what this teaching is. The Sermon on the Mount is basically a look at what our lives would look like were we perfectly and constantly submitted to the lordship, the kingship of Christ in our lives. We, those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, um, and we desire for him to continually be our Lord, we, we will kick at the goads of his lordship in our lives. If we did it perfectly, constantly, we would li- look like the Sermon on the Mount. That's what it is. So what it's not, it's not a look at all the things you had better be doing or you're not going to heaven. It's not a, um, a list of proofs so we can tell whether someone else is a real Christian or not. It is Jesus' heart for our hearts, if that makes sense. Jesus was interested in more than just the the temporary behavioral modification that can come through sort of willpower. He wanted righteousness that starts in our hearts. That's why some of the things we just got done studying, Jesus was interested in more than whether or not we can keep ourselves from, from murdering someone or assaulting someone. He taught us, I want you to to rid your heart of anger and bitterness and resentment and grudges that in the worst case scenarios wind up being murder. Jesus is interested in more that we can keep ourselves from committing adultery. He wants us to not use sex as a consumer and what I can get. Jesus wants us to act. He wants to be so in control of our hearts that when someone wrongs us, sins against us, and they're dead wrong, I still don't retaliate. And I also don't run away. I I turn the other cheek and stay right there with them without retaliation. And I love and pray for even someone who is just opposed to me like an enemy, without me turning them into an enemy in my heart. That's the kind of righteousness Jesus has been outlining for us in the Sermon on the Mount. And today we start a new paragraph in the Sermon on the Mount, in um, Matthew chapter 6. And in this paragraph, what Jesus is going to teach us is, okay, now that you kind of understand a little bit about the righteousness I'm after, I want to teach you how important your motives are for doing these righteous things you may wind up doing if you're, if you're following me. 
And really, Jesus could have used anything as examples of good deeds. Uh, he, he uses three examples in this chapter of good things people do. A lot of times these things are called the three pillars of Judaism. Almsgiving, or you know, charitable giving, prayer, and fasting. But, but these are just three examples. He could have used any, any kind of good deed will fit in this in this argument. We're going to look today at his, his teaching on giving and his teaching on fasting. We'll, I'm going to save prayer and do that by itself uh, next week. But the first, these first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6, after finishing chapter 5, talking about this, this heightened, this difficult kind of righteousness that he desires from his followers, he now says, When you do righteous things, pay attention to your motive and your audience. Here's the main idea for for all 18 verses. Your motives and your audience will determine your reward. Your motives and your audience determines your reward. Once when Teddy Roosevelt was running for office. Some, and at, his, at his home there in, at Oyster Bay, Long Island, New York, a, a delegation met him, and I don't know if they were reporters or some sort of VIPs, had an appointment to come see Teddy Roosevelt during this campaign. And he sort of knew they were coming, but he had his work clothes on, and his sleeves rolled up, and they showed up, and he said, Ah, oh, gentlemen, you know, I was, I was on my way down to the barn to do some work. I'm going to pitch some hay. You come with me, and I'll visit with you, you know, while I pitch this hay. And so they go down to the barn, and he walks in, he grabs a pitchfork, and he looks around, and there's no hay. And he yells for his hired hand, that he can hear around in the barn someplace. He says, John, where, where's all the hay? And from up top in the hayloft, he yells down, Sir, I ain't had time to pitch it back down after you pitched it up when them folks from Iowa was here. So what was, what was Teddy's motive? Who was, what was his audience for doing something that was, you know, it's good work. But why and for whom? Was he doing that? Jesus warns us today is if we're not careful, we can do good stuff for the wrong reasons, with the wrong audience, and it will wind up being empty in the eyes of, of our Father. We're going to read the whole passage in just a minute if you want to find it, but before we do it, I just want to, the first verse controls this, all 18 verses. It's the main idea. Everything else is about Verse 1, this verse is where I got the main idea and even the title for the sermon. Basically, Jesus says, your motive and your audience will determine your reward. He says it like this, Matthew 6, verse 1. Be careful not to display your righteousness merely to be seen by people. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Basically, and he says this multiple times in his ministry, Jesus says, if you do something good and your goal is for someone else to see you do that thing, I hope you enjoy their reaction because that's the only reward you're ever going to get. 
without question, without question, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people who are trying to follow Jesus, we can do the exact same activities, the exact same good deed, say the same prayer, do the same act of service, give the same amount of money to the same cause or person. But our motive for doing that is what will determine whether or not we are rewarded by our Father in heaven. It is the motive and our audience more than the action or the amount or anything like that. I can do something that anyone would think is a good thing to do. But if I do that so that you see me and think I'm a good guy or think I'm worth hanging out with or my reputation is increased, Jesus says, God the Father will will ignore that. On the other hand, I can do that same exact action with motives like this. I want to glorify the Lord who has loved me and I want to serve, help someone else. Same exact action. Um, I will be rewarded. I will be Rewarded. Jesus says in verse 4, your father, he says it a couple times actually in verse, uh, the last verse, 2.18, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus doesn't tell us what our rewards look like. He doesn't even tell us when we will get the rewards. I think by and large, I think these are eternal rewards. And, and if I have my druthers, I'd just soon have eternal rewards than rewards I may enjoy for the next 30, 40, 50 years anyway. But he says they're sure, they are sure we will be rewarded when we do good things for the right motives. All right, we're going to read our passage together this morning. It's a really plain, straightforward passage. This is with one exception. I don't think I need to explain what anything means in this passage. So we're not going to really go through it verse by verse. I'm going to highlight a couple of concepts and talk about them, but for the most part, you'll understand every, this is not a confusing passage. Some of you are like, finally. Give it. Uh, let's read it together. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Then we're going to skip the prayer section, which includes what we call the Lord's Prayer. We're going to go through that next week. and We'll finish in 16, 17, and 18. Matthew chapter 6 begins this way. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Verse 3, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Skip to verse 16. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast... 
Anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your motive and your audience will determine your reward. A few things about that passage. First, what makes a hypocrite a hypocrite? This is the first place in the book of Matthew where Jesus sort of blasts some people for being hypocrites. And if there is any charge leveled against Christians today more than that we are a bunch of hypocrites, I don't know what that charge is. Except maybe that we're judgmental. We'll get to that one later in this book, I promise. Right? But if everyone thinks we are hypocrites, we just as well know what they're talking about, right? Or be able to discuss with them that charge. Because there are a couple of hypocrisy charges that I hear all the time that aren't true. Hey, sometimes when we get called hypocrites, you know why? Because we're hypocrites. <laughs> That's why. There's a couple of other kind of false hypocrisy charges I want to share with you this morning. First, we are not hypocrites every time we fall short of the standards of righteousness that we believe to be the real standards of righteousness. Every time I believe this book lays out what is right and what is wrong. I believe in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is telling me what my life will look like if I, if I live according. I believe it's right. Every time I fail to live up to what I believe to be right does not make me a hypocrite. As long as I major on, stand on, believe in the gospel. If the gospel is our main message, we are not hypocrites when we fail to live up to the standards of behavioral righteousness that are outlined in the scriptures. Let me explain what I mean. The gospel tells me that because I am a sinner and I can't do everything that's in here, I need a savior to save me from my unrighteousness. And there will never be a time while I am taking in oxygen on this earth that I don't need that Savior. The gospel says he saved me from who I really am. So that when, speaking of the Sermon on the Mount, when, when I say something that's not true, when I, um, when I lust, when I do something righteous so somebody else sees, when I, um, when I fail at any tenant, of the scriptures. I'm a sinner. But if the gospel is my message, I'm not a hypocrite. I've got some confessing to do. I've got some repenting to do. I probably have somebody to go and ask forgiveness from. I may have some work of reconciliation to work on. But I'm not a hypocrite. Listen, when my message becomes Christians live like this and this and this and this, As soon as I fail on one of those thises, I am a hypocrite. When my message is the gospel, I'm not. Um, 
as long as I own that sin, confess it, repent of it, make reparations where necessary. I'm not a hypocrite. But when my good works become, hypocrisy is putting on a mask, right? Pretending to be something I am not. Good works become the mask I put on to make people think I'm behaviorally righteous. That's hypocrisy. That's what's Jesus, what Jesus is talking about in chapter 6. Get to that in one sec. One more sort of false hypocrisy I hear a lot. I am not a hypocrite when I fail to share everything I am feeling or thinking. Uh, here's another scenario. I hear this a lot. Let's say, let's say you do something that hurts me. You, you sin against me. You hurt someone I love, whatever it is. And I am having a hard time with it. I, I, I've got kind of resentment piling up. I don't like you very much in my heart. I, I'm an, dealing with anger and bitterness, and I've got a grudge against you. But when I see you, I choose to treat you with kindness, uh, gentleness, and I use self-control. Am I, am I a hypocrite? Because after all, I'm not the same on the inside as I am on the outside. I'm not a hypocrite. Let me explain this. Because Here, here's what I hear. Sometimes Christians, we want to spew forth the, the venom, the poison, the darkness that's in our hearts. And we use, I don't want to be a hypocrite as an excuse to be mean. What I really want is to let you know how bad you have hurt me. What I really want is to hurt you back and I'm going to put some Christian language on this and say, Jesus doesn't want me to be a hypocrite and use that as my excuse to do that. Here's what, you know what Jesus just taught us? We're supposed to love even our, whom? Enemies. So when someone is opposed to me, is damaging me, they have decided they are going to be my enemy. Jesus says, I treat them with love and I pray for them. Now, the work I have to do, that doesn't mean I should live in a perpetual state where my heart is different than my actions. But what Jesus says is, again, back up in the, uh, in the section where he talks about uh, getting rid of anger. Instead of, I want my heart to match my actions and my words. Instead of the darkness in my heart spewing out in dark words so that they match, Jesus would have me deal with the darkness that's in my heart so that my light words can be matched by his light in my heart and not the other way around. All right, so that's a couple of false hypocrisies. But not what Jesus is talking about today. What Jesus is talking about today, hypocrisy in Matthew chapter 6 is or happens when a person who has been given righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ does good deeds to make others think they're righteous because of their behavior. It's on the screen, but I'm going to read it again. Hypocrisy in Matthew chapter 6 is when a person who has been given, granted freely, righteousness that comes only by faith 
when that person does good deeds to make other people think they're righteous because of their behavior. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, he said hypocrisy, this kind of hypocrisy, is substituting reputation for character. I like that. Substituting reputation for character. You know, if I just, if I just, live by integrity, walk with Christ, eventually most people will think I'm a decent dude. They just will. Not everybody. A shortcut way to do that is make sure people see me doing certain good deeds so that my reputation is inflated over my real character. Again, the good deed becomes a mask I put on to raise my reputation. And Jesus says it doesn't matter how good the deed is if I do it so that someone, for the purpose of being seen by someone else, it's empty from God's perspective. All right, now he's going to, that's, that's the topic at hand. He's going to give us two examples of the way people do good things in a hypocritical way. The first one he talks about uh, traditionally is called almsgiving, doing good deeds to be seen by others. I call this the Oprah technique of giving things, right? I'm going to give things away. Why? So that everyone thinks I'm awesome. That's why. Sorry if you're an Oprah fan. And Oprah, if you are listening, first of all, I'm really shocked. But second of all, I'm not sorry. Um, I don't want to be hypocritical. Uh, Okay. Traditionally, this is called almsgiving, which comes from a a Greek saying that means doing kind things, basically. So this, traditionally, this is about giving financially to the poor. But this could be any act of giving of myself, giving of my time, giving of, of money, any of those things. And Jesus says the most important factor in giving is our motive. Here's why this is hypocritical. If you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus for your salvation, answer this question for me. Me giving a gift financially or giving my time and service, does that act, that good work, does that make me more righteous in God's eyes? Does that make me righteous in God's eyes? No. If I really believe that, but I do good deeds to make somebody else think I'm more righteous, that's when I'm pretending something that I don't even, I don't even think righteousness comes by works. But I can try to make you think <laughs> that it does. So Jesus says, when you, when you give, up your, give of yourself, don't blow a trumpet. Like, like a hypocrite would. Jesus is not talking about actually tooting a literal musical instrument before you do something good. This is like our um, figure of speech. Don't blow your own horn. Don't toot your own horn. You ever hear that? I, I don't know of any examples in first century Judaism where they you know, literally blew trumpets so people could watch them do stuff. That, but they did plenty of things that drew attention to themselves while they were giving, while they were doing uh, whatever they were doing, the Pharisees I'm talking about. Jesus says, 
If you do your good deeds to draw attention to yourself, you're a hypocrite. Your good deed does nothing for you. Now, what though, what if I do something from the wrong motive? Uh, I do something for Seth and Kim um, that really I just want, I, I just want, you know, Dennis and Zoe to see me do it so that they think I'm a good dude. So I do it from the wrong motive. But what if what I do for them really, really blesses them? What if, it's a, what if it is, just makes a huge difference in their life? Does that mean that, that I'm not a hypocrite? Because even though I did it from the wrong motive, it really was. It turned out good in the end. See what I'm asking? The answer to that is no. God in his providence can do stuff like this. He can take my gift that was empty for me for the wrong motives of no consequence to my life now or for all of eternity. He can take an empty thing and turn it into someone else's blessing. God can do that in his sovereignty. The results of the gift are not determined or do not determine like the substance of the gift in God's or the... the, the, the the approved nature of the gift in God's eyes. Does that make sense? God could, I I get a little tired of this one. Yeah, but God can really use that. God can use that in people's lives. Listen, God uses car accidents in people's lives. God uses cancer diagnoses in people's lives. How many times have you heard a story where someone said about the time when God finally got a hold of my heart? They're almost always some rock bottom experience. It was terrible, right? And when I got that diagnosis, when that drunk driver crossed the center line and I hit him head on and I almost died, that's when I realized, man, if I would have died then, I would have been in real trouble for all of eternity. And God used that car accident, that cancer diagnosis in a huge way in my life. It doesn't make the drunk driver's deed good just because God can use it. We're not going to start a, a, a car accident ministry here because God can use it, right? right? I don't want you to leave here thinking, I've got to start pulling out in front of people who need Jesus. Not a good idea. The motives are what's important. And the motive is what keeps us from being a hypocrite in our good deeds. So how do we guard ourselves against this kind of hypocrisy? I'm glad you asked. In verses 3 and 4, Jesus answers that question. So when you do your giving, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your gift may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the one part that's hard to understand. This is the one part that takes some some explanation. Here's what it can't mean. It can't mean every time I do giving, it has to be secret. If anybody else finds out about it, I get nothing from God. It can't mean that. That doesn't hold up logically, and it doesn't hold up biblically. Uh, we'll do logically first. Um, if you, by the way, this is one of those times I'm glad we take the offering before the sermon because I start talking about money and offering and you start to get nervous. We're not going to do it again. 
Okay, but if you if you gave a gift this morning and you had the right heart, you want uh, to be involved in the work the Lord is doing here, and it was selfless, and you gave that gift, but you wrote a check. Is that going to ultimately be secret? Somebody has to know about it. Our treasurer has to make a deposit ticket. Somebody at the bank has to deposit it. So does that mean it's not secret? I get nothing out of it. No. Um, How about this? Remember, this can be acts of service as well. Uh, Here's a personal uh, example first. Years ago, I became convinced that if God had all of my heart, I would, be, I would give myself to a local church to be a pastor. Uh, I did that, and it's not a secret, <laughs> right? Does that mean I get nothing out of it because somebody knew what I did? How can an Awana volunteer, a Sunday school teacher, how can they do that in secret? Do we have to wear costumes or like burkas? Right, let's not start wearing burkas. People will talk. If you know what a burqa is, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, Biblically, this doesn't hold up. How many good deeds that are recorded in the Gospels that Jesus did, did other people find out about? All of them. (laughs) Uh, Paul, 2 Corinthians, tells the Corinthians about some people who gave financially, the Macedonian Christians, They were poor. They gave out of their poverty. Paul holds them up as an example and says, I'd be like these people. They did a great deal. Paul ratted them out. First of all, their giving wasn't secret because Paul knew about it. The people he had carrying the offering with him knew about it. And then he told the whole city of Corinth. Did Paul ruin their reward? Beginning of the church. Church is brand new. People sold fields, brought the process of the fields. What did they do with it? They laid the proceeds at the feet of the elders so that the elders could use that to grow this infant church. It wasn't a secret. So it was no, did God say, I don't think that's what Jesus, I don't think Jesus means. I know Jesus doesn't mean. If anybody ever finds out about your giving, you get nothing out of it from God. What he says is, in fact, I don't even think he's talking about two different people here. He says, you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I don't think he's using the metaphor of the body of Christ with different people. That's Paul. Jesus never, never went there. Here's what I think he means. Jesus is saying, I am so serious about you not using your good works to impress other people as far as you can. He's using hyperbole. I don't want you even to impress yourself. Like, make it to where you barely even notice. Because you want to know what one real danger of our good deeds is? It can threaten things like our poorness of spirit our mourning, and our meekness. Do you remember those things? 
Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. And here's what that meant. The first step of becoming someone who's blessed of God is understanding I am penniless. I'm broke. I'm destitute before the God of the universe. I'm more in that condition. And I am meek. It means I'm powerless. I can't even begin to start climbing the ladder of righteousness to make up this righteousness gap between me and God. I'm broke. I'm powerless to do anything about it. Here's what can happen when we really start to do good deeds for other people. We can start to get sort of impressed with ourselves. Even if no one else knows about it. This is why I don't think Jesus is saying if it's giving secretly is at times most appropriate. It is. And if you're someone who, who struggles with, maybe your love language is words of affirmation, right? You, recognition is what you, man, giving without anyone knowing sometimes is most appropriate. But listen, even if I give, no one else knows about it, but it kind of makes me go, most people don't do it like this. I mean, I'll bet, you know, I'll bet Jeff's not given like this. I mean, let's be serious here, right? I'm not poor in spirit. I'm solidly middle class in spirit. Jesus says, um, oh, here's another one. Just saw it in my notes. Jesus, here's, here's another one that really hurts the, this has to be in secret or it doesn't count. Look up at verse 16 in chapter five. He just said, let your light Shine before men so that they what? So that they see your good deeds. And they glorify your Father who's in heaven. Right? The difference between a worthy act of giving and and one that's empty is not just whether or not someone else finds out. It's your motive. It's your motive. All right, quickly. I'm going to get you out of here early this morning. No amens. Good. That was good restraint by your part right there. I appreciate that. Uh, Fasting to be noticed is what Jesus talks about in verses 16 through 18. Again, it's just another example of doing something that can be good um, for the wrong reasons. I won't read it again. But Jesus is talking about people who, who engage in fasting. They're supposedly doing something between them and the Lord, but they, they want to make sure other people know about it. Uh, extra biblical sources tell us the Pharisees fasted Tuesdays or Mondays and Thursdays, twice a week. There's only one fast prescribed in the Old Testament, Yom Kippur. Uh, that, that day God said nobody's eaten in the whole country. Every other fast is voluntary according to the scriptures. It's not wrong to fast. It can be good. Um, Jesus, in later on this book, he'll indicate, he'll basically tell some people, hey, while I'm still alive, my disciples won't be fasting. But after I'm gone, they will. And we see in the book of Acts, when they have big decisions to make, like choosing the next apostle, choosing church leaders, they, they engage in fasting in small groups. But what Jesus says where the Pharisees went wrong is they made themselves look extra hungry. They made sure everybody knew they were fasting. Why? Because it makes me seem super spiritual. It's not a normal, everyday 
thing to do. Um, fasting is a spiritual exercise. Just in case you're interested in fasting, here's, here's what I think it's for. Again, you are never commanded to do it. It's a way to act out at a given time what I probably am praying anyway or should be praying, and I'll explain what I mean. The apostles fasted when they they were waiting on the Holy Spirit and when they were trying to uh, choose church leaders. This is a big decision, and we don't know. God, if you don't send us the email on who to pick, we know we can get this wrong. So we really need your guidance, your wisdom. More than anything, we need your guidance and your wisdom. If that's the prayer, one way to act that out is, God, I need your guidance and your wisdom more than I need anything in the world, including food. So today, instead of, instead of eating, I'm going to take that time that I normally would eat. I'm going to spend that time with you uh, in prayer, seeking wisdom. I'm going to be in your word. Maybe I'll do some singing or other worship, however you want to do it. Just to demonstrate physically what the prayer of my heart is, that I need your direction, your wisdom. Now, fasting is not a foolproof way to get information out of God. Right? You can't uh, manipulate God to give you information by fasting. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. But, but it is a legitimate spiritual exercise. And this one, Jesus does pretty plainly seem to indicate this is supposed to be secret, quiet. Now, we can do it corporately, Right? Like the apostles did it in a group, right? But we don't make a big deal out of it. I'm not, you know, trying to impress people with what I'm giving up right now. Um, do you, uh, you want to hear when I've done some fasting, what, in that story, what happened? I just told you it's supposed to be secret. Why would you ask me for that? What is wrong with you? Just kidding. I'm not going to tell you. Um, Fasting like anything else. Who is my audience? What is my motive? If my motive is just to try and get this information I want, that's a selfish motive. If my motive is demonstrating to God that you are more important to me even than food, I want to spend more time with you today than I normally do. I think it's legit. All right, here's what we learned today. Advance me one more there, Samuel, would you? There we go. All right. Jesus, first, read back through this passage. You know what Jesus assumes in this? That you and I will be doing good deeds. Notice he never says, he just says, when you do these things. He assumes we're doing good things. You know, one way... A bad way to keep from being hypocritical is not, well, I don't want to be hypocritical in my good deeds, so I just won't do good deeds. No, he just he assumes we're going to do them, and he says, your motive and your audience will determine your reward. You know the wonderful thing about the gospel? I, I, I'm convinced of this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what allows us to actually do selfless 
good deeds with the right motive. Here's why I say that. If there's no cross, if, if life, the way to get to heaven is hoping my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, right? I've been a pretty good guy. I'm better than my neighbor. I've done way more good than I have bad. I never really hurt anyone. If that's the way to get to heaven, ultimately, what's the purpose behind every good deed? So I get to heaven. It's for me. When I understand the gospel, though, when I understand, here's the gospel. Christ was, was murdered to pay the penalty for my sins. He was executed to pay my penalty. And then this trade-off happens. When I believe in that, my sin went on him. He became my sin, and now I become his righteousness. Which means this. If I already have his track record of good deeds, how much really is me giving to you, me serving in this capacity, how much does that increase my righteousness from God's perspective? It's completely overwhelmed and overcome. It's blinded by the light of the, Christ, of the righteousness of Christ. I already have that. You know what that allows me to do? Do stuff to serve people, to give, knowing This doesn't get me anywhere with God. Will he reward me if I do it correctly? Yes, he will. But that is dwarfed by the way he has given me Christ's reward for nothing I've ever done. That allows me to give completely selflessly. Knowing God's not more, he doesn't love me more. He doesn't think I'm more righteous because I have the righteousness of his son already in his sight. Once I've been deemed righteous, then I can do things with this, with this motive. God, you loved me when you got nothing out of the deal. I want to do that for somebody else. I want to love someone else when I get nothing out of the deal. That's Christ-centered gospel giving and service. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the cross that we we bear the righteousness of Christ by faith. God, I pray that that his cross would control our motives um, as we do good things for others. God, uh, you expect us. If we're following you, we'll be givers, we'll be servers, servants. But God, just control our motives. So what we do is for the glory of God, for the benefit of others, that we can do selfless acts of service and giving to your glory. We know our motives and our audience will determine our reward. And I thank you that our ultimate reward was sealed in the blood of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and finish with us.